We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And yesterday, we got to get to know our new head coach a little bit better. Had our introductory press conference for Darvin Ham. Rob Polinka had some opening comments in which I think the most revealing thing that he said was that Ham was the unanimous choice of the coaching committee that they uh, that they put together that consisted of him, uh, Kurt Rambis. Jesse and Joey Buss. I think one or two other people were involved in that as well. And then we got to meet Darvin Ham for over the course of about 30 minutes. And D, you always talk about the idea of winning the press conference. And I thought Ham did that. And that's not the most important thing. It's far from it. But it's it is something that is important, especially around here. And I don't know. I I think that we are in need of somebody who can inspire right now and who can kind of galvanize people and and instill some belief. And I walked out of that press conference like, all right, when do we get started? You know. And so I uh, we had Russell Westbrook was there, which I was a little surprised about. Uh, Wenyon was there. Stanley Austin Reeves was there. But yeah, give me your opening impressions, man, of, of yesterday of the opening press conference. Yeah. So I do talk a lot about winning the press conference. And how winning the press conference doesn't necessarily mean that you win games because you win the press conference. It's just a press conference. Um, but I prefer you win the press conference instead of losing. And I've seen some people lose the press conference before. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm not Especially sure about here. this. If you lose too many of those around <laughs> here, that can spiral out of, out of control pretty quickly. So Ham came as advertised. Right? Like... There's a certain amount of authority and charisma and like, okay, are, are you one of those dudes, right? That leader of men sort of, um, I don't even want to call it a persona, but, but you know, like if we're talking about the types of coaches, he is slotted into one of those sorts. And I thought he was all of that for sure. I liked... A lot of what he said from like um, 
his personal story aspect and, and and how I think that that can translate to what he'll be as a locker room presence. He didn't talk a lot of X's and O's, but one of the things he did say that I thought was interesting was talking about the running habits of the team in yes. terms of transition and his talking about them playing a four out, one in system, which I found interesting as well. And then he had a lot of comments about Russ and was asked specific questions about Russ. But I thought he acquitted himself. I thought he did well. Ham is one of those guys where I honestly couldn't care less if he was the unanimous choice. Like, what else is Rob going to say? Well, actually, it was seven to three and he won out. Right. Like, I don't sure. expect to hear any like you're only going to get that if that was actually what it was like. Right. Like he was the unanimous choice. Great. He got hired anyway. So if he won by one vote, like he's the dude who's who's here to do the job. So I'm less concerned around that part of things and more just like, OK, well, do I think this dude is going to do a good job based off of what he said his first press conference? And he had me believing in a lot of different ways. And so, look, like, get me on board, too, Pete. Like, I'm ready to go, too. And, and so, Mike, I'm wondering there's only so much that can be conveyed through a TV screen or a computer monitor, which is how I was watching the press conference. I wasn't there in person. And so I'm wondering if there were aspects of his presence that you thought stood out from in person and just what your other general thoughts were, since this is sort of a return for him, which he spoke to a few different times. Well, first of all, Pete, I don't know how much you measure a man's you know, value and inspirational qualities in a handshake, but you did get a handshake. Yeah. Yeah. Know, so. And it looked straight in the eye. It looked, I mean, you know, he had to look down a little bit, but uh, definitely made eye contact and a firm handshake and big smile. Yeah. No, he's, he's that dude in person for sure. Okay. Um, Pete and I were walking down the hallway, uh, getting down to the press conference and Darwin pops out uh, of a different room. So it was nice to be able to introduce the film room to Darwin. And, <laughs> and, the, and you, by the way, you got a big old hug. Like That was not the first time you met Darbin Ham, right? I got the pleasure to meet you, sir. Handshake. You got the dap up, the hug. The, oh, was it Mike, like how the, you doing? Was it like that? The, that the Obama? The, the, the yes, 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 the Kier <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I, yes. Mike was one of the in, in one of the yeah, mid-men, yeah, right? Like, like he was in the in-group. Yeah, I, you got I the, was not. You, you got the, <laughs> Look, nice to meet you, right? Yes, are, yes, yes. Any almost anybody that's worked with Darwin before, um, you get that. And this this speaks to the qualities that I think Darius noticed on the TV screen. It's the same thing. That's just kind of who he is, right? So um I, I was I jumped on it to do this interview last night and somebody asked, Hey, what stood out about what Darwin said? And it's not so much a soundbite, even though I'm sure we'll get to some, but the just the kind of general way that he is, right? That who he is as a guy and what his story is. We talked about it in fact when the podcast went out when we when we heard what the news was and i think that he just showed all of that in this pressure so i think the story that he told about when he played in the nba and kind of just really just him becoming a basketball player in general how he didn't have the sweet jump shot and the no look pass that he was a blue collar contributor and that required him to understand a lot of the little things in order to stick around you know, the details being locked in the scouting reports, the watching film, all of those things. I think that he's transitioned to being a coach and which for the most part, 
are what the NBA head coaches right now that were current that were past that were players in the past. I just did a, a very quick look through the standings, and I think it's eleven. Um, I'd have to fact check myself there, but wow. most of those guys, you know, take out Jason Kidd and Chauncey Billups, right? Weren't all star type players. They were the type of guys that Darvin is. So it does fit that mold um, into the Monty Williams and the Willie Green and the Ime Odoka and the Ty Lue. Steve right? Kerr. The and two the, teams in the finals right now are, are both those kind of yeah, guys. Um, absolutely. And Steve Kerr uh, being being one of the few that's sort of like an older a player um, of the early 90s, right? A lot of these guys are kind of late late 90s and 2000s and a little bit younger, a little more. And in the then the other part where I asked him about Kobe, but he kind of filtered that into – how it was about like this is a partnership with the players right this is kind of the more the way that we understand i think how nba players seem to respond this generation of nba players Mm -hmm. seems to respond to that ability to relate less so than the just this is how you're going to do things and and that was something as a partnership and here's what i see here what do you see okay let's find the best solution to it And, and that does make sense given the lebron and ad and um to an extent, Russ on the Russ on the roster. So, uh, but Pete, you were there, right? What were what were your takeaways from the presser? There were a few parts of it that stood out to me. Him getting choked up about uh, Budenholzer and their relationship and their experience was really notable to me. Um, I think that he's somebody that when he was talking about Russ, he was talking about the idea of like after he you know advocated for Russ a bit, and he talked about the idea of like coming at people with a sense of love and caring for them and that there is a a personal side to it that I think that he just, he resonates as authentic and it's hard to quantify. But for me, the reason why Rob saying that he was a unanimous choice is important to me is that I think that we saw some of the ill effects of not being on the same page with your coach happen this past year with Frank Vogel. And I think that the ability to galvanize behind one vision and move forward behind it. Like we needed to pick a direction last year. And that was one of, I think our big downfalls last season was the inability to do that. And so if there is consensus and the ability to build consensus is what I really want to hear your thoughts on is I think that that starts with that personal connection, that ability to get somebody to believe and believe that you're authentic. And that's not something that you can fake for very long. You have to be the real deal too. like maybe at first. And we're certainly in a honeymoon phase. He hasn't coached his first game and all of that's going to be true. But in some ways, the way that a coach takes advantage of that period of time to have like people legitimately, you have their ear. I think, in this first part. So let's take a break. When we come back, I'd love to hear your thoughts on building consensus. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, so you're not wrong. And I don't want to make it seem like it doesn't matter that everyone wanted ham. I just don't put so much stock in that aspect of like Rob saying that, right? Like Rob saying that is totally different than like, oh, everyone is on board and moving in the same direction because words only take you so far. Mm-hmm. And it's the actions that are going to matter. And, and and so building consensus to me is one of the most important things a head coach is going to have to do. He's going to have to do it in the locker room first. Um, and he's going to need it definitely in tandem with his general manager and the person who's picking the players, right? I think that's where things started to, vibe, to diverge some with the last head coach and the team suffered because of it. Like, and I'm going to say this now just because um, too often it gets pitted this way is that as we talk about Darvin Ham. I don't want us to talk about Ham within the context of he's such this contrasting thing to Frank Vogel. Because too often I feel like we are like, oh, well, yeah, well, the new guy, the new guy is this, right? Because just to give Vogel his flowers one last time, Frank Vogel was super authentic. He was a dude who you could believe in. He was a dude who brought a locker room together and led a team and he led them to a championship. And, And so I don't want to do that thing where we point to qualities that ham has and make it seem like those qualities are in contrast to the guy that, that he replaced. Not that you were doing that at all. No, no. Right. But I just wanted to make that point clear as, as we do talk about ham here, that consensus building Pete and that idea that everyone does want him and does want him to succeed. That already puts you in a position where you have got a leg up in terms of implementing the vision that you have. And you do have that honeymoon period to get people on board. And honestly, Mike, I thought Vogel benefited from that too, right? Vogel came on, people liked him, and he's like, hey, I want everyone to play defense. And everyone was just like, yeah, defense, (laughs) right? And suddenly they're one of the best defensive teams. And, And so that shouldn't be discounted. Pete and and Mike, I'd love to sort of have you jump in here, too, because that consensus building is going to get Ham's foot in the door and maybe even more than his foot. And he's a big dude. So look like even more of him means that you're going to get some momentum going forward. A couple of things here. But first one is that, Pete, you're right. We spent a lot of time this last year saying if everybody was just on the same page here, 
Just pick one. Yeah, yeah. just and that's that's from the whole thing. This is how the team's going to play. These are the players they're going to play. They're, yeah. they're either going to play small or they're not. They're going to run or not. The, the coach is going to have the support or not. Like all of this stuff, right, where there's reports and that was not ideal. Okay, so that that was one thing. Yeah. Now, contrasting, so Darius, I think this is a slight uh, divergence from what you were saying, but to me, Frank came in not under these circumstances that Darwin has because there were all these reports that the Lakers offered the job to somebody else, right, or that they wanted somebody else, and he was basically the third choice. And and then he came in, and all of the turmoil had been going on in the front office. I don't know how many people were actually interested in what Frank Vogel was saying in his initial press conference. A lot of the questions were to Rob. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. I think I was I was one of a few people to ask Frank a basketball question that day. It just was not. So it was a totally different thing. And then Frank, though, and he gets total credit for this. A, he handled it well. B, he then he really put his vision on in in the fact that he had just gotten the job meant that there was no choice, I think, for everybody to like, all right, well, he's here. He's got the job like we better try to do this. And then it worked right away. And that, I think, built the players into continuing to play like that. But like that, again, that we've gone over it before. What was that team? 17 and two and then, you know, like 24 and three. So it was a it was like, oh, OK, Frank's Frank's version of what this team is going to be works. Let's go through it. They play through the whole season. They win the title um, next year. There's still that belief, I think. And then they lose and AD gets hurt. Blah, blah. We've been over that before. So to me, Darvin comes in with a a better circumstance mentally and in terms of what he's empowered to do but what he doesn't have and, and we'll see because you know we had frank actually had the roster he's l- unlikely to have as good of a roster as what frank mm-hmm. had now yeah. that's not 100 percent. we'll see the lakers have some work to do there but to me that's what's going to be the difficulty is not going to be in terms of the support or the galvanization or all of that was has been really good um i think this is going to end up more being kind of Um, what can he do with his vision with what the players are going to be? Well, this is important here because the elephant in the room, and he was actually in the room, is Russell Westbrook when it comes to that. And so, Pete, you had said, like, oh, kind of surprised to see Russ there. And it's because people have already packed Russell Westbrook's bags. In fact, the car is running outside. And they're like, hey, you got to jump in the car here, right? We, where are we going? We're going to the airport. Your bags are already packed. Oh, you didn't see, see your bags? Look, I packed them myself. They're right there. They're, they're right on the porch. And that's sort of the idea around Russ at this point. And Ham went out of his way, I think, to praise Russ and then started coaching Russ Already, he started coaching him right in his introductory press conference. And that idea of how talented your team is and what the team is going to look like, I think it starts with Russell Westbrook. And so what are like, because LeBron and AD are givens and and Russ for as much as he may end up being a given too. And so that idea, I think it has to start there, right? And what did you sort of take from that aspect of things. So that aspect of things is uncertain. His bags might be packed by the fans, but where's that ticket going? Is someone (laughs) going to buy that ticket? Is someone like looking to receive him at the other end of it? There's 
a few versions of the future, maybe not even a minority amount, that have Russell Westbrook on the Lakers next season. And so that is to be determined. But one of the things I thought was necessary from whatever coach we hired is that he believed in Russell Westbrook, right? And there are many reasons not to. There are reasons why fans feel the way that they do about him, right? And that said, the implementation of last season, you guys know how crazy I was going this past year. And it's not something that I've typically done over previous seasons in the same way is that I felt like we made a lot of decisions that were hostile to Russell Westbrook's game. And Russell Westbrook's game is so clearly defined in what he's good at and what he's bad at that we kind of maximize the things that he's bad at and minimize the things that he's good at. Now, there are certain things that's like, get your ass back in transition defense type thing and get in a stance and, you know, make your rotation that like, that's that's where my skepticism kicks in about like, hey, if Russ were to stick around and could Darvin Ham have a relationship with him or get the most out of him in ways that didn't happen last season? I always think that like you can't make a person care about something that they don't care about. And there were certain there were certain things defensively in particular. And again, as somebody who I defended him quite a bit last season, I was like, yes, things like that. You can't put that on anybody else. That's a, a, a thing that you need. And then his exit interview, I I don't know, man. So that said, though, Mike, that's something that that's a possible future that, that we have with the Lakers. And so I need the coach that comes in to say exactly what Darvin Ham said in that press conference and says, I believe in him. He's somebody that that he is part of what we're going to do. And I have a vision for what he's going to do. I actually, in the last segment, want to talk about the running habits and the uh, four out one in and just spacing principles that you brought up earlier, D. But before then, Mike, it comes to just a sense of belief from the coach in the players that they have. I think that's an important thing. Um, that's something that Phil Jackson has talked about, that idea of being able to see a path to success from wherever you are. Now, mind you, you might not get there, but... I think this season is important in that we need to have a good year. I would love for that to end in an NBA championship. We need to have as many good vibes in this upcoming season as as possible. And I think that there's a space in there where that can happen with Darvin Ham as a coach. I may need to bring um, Father Darius into this one because there's a, you know, there's a way that you, you know what your kids are like, like, you know what they're like in school, you know what they're like in their sports, you know them better than anybody and you also know their their failings and you know the things that they might struggle with. And I think there's a way that you talk about them to other people that is uh, that where you're always going to you'll be protective of that relationship. Of right. And and I think that there's some of that in a coach. And so in this case, with Darvin Ham and with Westbrook, there's a way that you respectfully speak about a player. And I think he did that and because it doesn't do any good you know, to point out what is he going to come in there and. and point out Russ's failings in certain ways from last year, you know, but he did, I thought he did kind of quickly pivot after that support and that praise to I've already spoken with Russ and the first word that comes up is sacrifice. And, you know, and then the disclaimer after that, and the same thing for, you know, Anthony Davis, for LeBron James and everybody else on the roster. And this is kind of the team mindset, but, but it's not something that we haven't heard before from Frank Vogel and from other coaches, but it's a, what else are you supposed to say in that context? So I did think that he handled it well. I'm curious to see um, how it, how it goes, but 
the other part of Darius, as I kicked him here, there's the parent part, and then there's the well, Russ is the one that has to show us, you know, that he's willing to do those things. And and I, you know, without getting into our our back into our same debate, you know, from last season as to whose responsibility is that and who's on the floor and what the if it's spaced or not and all that, you know, I tend to I tend to put that much more on the player. Um and so I'm but I thought Darwin handled it well. So there you go, Darius. Either take that set up or go in a different direction with it. Let's go to break and I'm gonna do just that, Mike. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it is on the player. And I thought Ham, in his own way, put it right back on Russ to do the things that he expects of him and laid out in his own way some expectations. I don't, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but when you're the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers, guess what? Your media availability does not stop when the press conference ends, right? And mm-hmm. so there was Darvin Ham a little bit later on Spectrum. There he was on ESPN, mm-hmm. right? And there he was doing the podcast that the Lakers have with the Spectrum crew. One of the things that, and I only saw a short clip of this, so I haven't had a chance to listen to the whole podcast yet, but he went into more detail about Russ and he talked about running habits. Yeah. And he singled out Russ as needing to greatly improve his running habits, particularly when he's off the ball. And he said, and he expressed a certain amount of optimism on accomplishing that based off of the opportunities that would be created when he saw that it worked. Like, this is going to work for you. You do the things that are going to work for you and you're going to succeed. Right. And so, look, Ham's no dummy. He's going to praise Russ and find that personal connection, Pete, that you spoke about earlier, in order to try to build the relationship from a positive standpoint early on and relate to Russ in a way that maybe to no fault of Frank Vogel's, Frank did not find that same bridge with Russ. And I'm not going to put the blame on any side of that they did not connect the way that we would have hoped and i think that part of the failings that you saw from russ and his disinterest in not doing those things probably related back to the tone that he took in his exit interview when speaking directly about frank vogel and so ham is like no like okay i'm gonna connect with this dude and i'm gonna hold him to a standard and then we'll see how that relationship goes whether or not that standard is met mike I I agree with you from the standpoint of like, this is the thing that we do in public when you're a family, right? And like, I'm going to protect my family in public. And then in private, I may say some other things about my family in order to try to guide them in the right direction, which is what coaching basically is. And so it remains to be seen whether or not 
the foundation that Ham is trying to build with Russ is going to lead to different outcomes that Russ has and has not shown over the course of his career based off of like his general approach as a player. I'm not benefit of the doubt giving time, though. I am skeptical. I will wait and see to see what what happens with this. And that's mostly from Russ's side because the way things went last year, he is sort of backed me into a corner when it comes to how optimistic I'm going to be about stuff like that. Pete, to kick it to you, just a transition item that I, I've been thinking about. So Ime Odoka got a lot of criticism early in the year for basically just going after Celtics players, right? Tatum and Brown, Smart, whoever, not playing the right way, just like after every game. And then, but that accountability, it just kind of clicked at a certain point. Now, it's a different roster. LeBron, AD, and Russ are much older than most of that Celtics roster uh, and have sort of had different coaches. But I like the idea of Ham coming in and just being like, it's my team. I'm going to call it like I see it. You're not doing this. I'm going to say it. And that's not to go against what I just said about being a parent. Like there's a way to do it. But I, I, I would like that. I think like that type of accountability where he doesn't have to worry about, you know, how, what the recourse might be for it. Um, I'm just curious if, you, if any of that has entered into your thinking about how, how this season might go. Absolutely. A lot of times it's not about what is said. What is said is actually something that is not terribly insightful that, you know, many like – Darvin Ham would not be the first person to tell Russell Westbrook to get back on defense and square up to the ball, right? But oftentimes, what's more important is the person who's saying it to you and the relationship that you have with them and with the broader sense of belief. Uh, my the, the most realistic best hope that I have for a second season of Russell Westbrook, which I understand from uh, many fans' perspective, is very disheartening, the idea of it, right? So I get it. Right. But my hope is that Russell Westbrook can have a Dwight Howard type of moment and where Mike, one of the things you talk about was uh, with Dwight is he was kind of a maddening player when he was young because he was so good at this thing that really worked. And the whole idea of like having a big man that puts a ton of pressure around the rim and then spreading the floor out to four other shooters, that four out one in that Ham was talking about during the press conference, like the Orlando Magic, Dwight Howard and those teams with Hiro Turkoglu and Jameer Nelson and Richard Lewis, Lewis, right? That was one of the first teams that did that to a to a degree where they looked like a team in 2022 in a lot of ways like a lot of the stuff that they did and ran like they wouldn't look foreign in this era and but Dwight was so frustrating because he wanted to post up and there was this like rivalry with Shaq and he wanted to prove that he was like this go-to on-ball scorer uh to be worthy of being referred to as one of the all-time great big men and it was to his detriment but I think he went through a period of his career where he bounced around from one team to another. This is if Russ is back next year, this is going to be the first time he's on the same team he was was on the year before in quite a while. And there's some value in that, right? But the experience, I could only imagine the experience of being a Laker last year from Russell Westbrook's point of view. And sometimes that sometimes your your failures and the amount of heat that you can get for for your failures can lead to a moment of realization. We and these happens at all at, these happen at all different points of our lives, right? And at different points of different people's lives. Now, 
is this the year, Darius, where where Russell Westbrook starts to value those types of things? We'll see. I think that's really optimistic, right? But I think that there's some – this was a humbling season for a lot of people. Yes. And if there were ever circumstances created to possibly be open, and I think if there were a person – to connect on that type of level. I think there's a good argument that it's Dar- Darvin Ham coming off of this season. So that, again, is my super optimistic argument, but it's the most realistic one that I can make. No, look, if you want to figure out the path to get the least out of Russell Westbrook, last season is the exact path to follow. And I'm not targeting Frank Vogel or anything like this. I'm saying that bring in Russell Westbrook, say... From a strategic and tactics standpoint, say, okay, well, we're going to focus less on floor spacing and and we're going to play multiple bigs and we're going to ask that you play in this specific type of defensive system. And and then and some of that is brought on by injuries. And then the injuries are two very specific players that are going to that you actually need on the damn court in order to be successful as a team. You're the only dude who's really not injured the entire season. And so who's out there as the face of the losses pretty much every single game. And then you're catching a lot of heat because you're Russell Westbrook and you bring heat with you. Like the stove is on your back. Of course you're feeling the heat. Like this is how it goes for him over the course of his entire career. He already has from an outsider's perspective, a sort of a persecution complex where he feels like he's already the target of undue and unfair criticism based off of his style of play. And we can debate the merits of that, right? Where it's just like, like word, like you want an MVP? Come on, man. Like it's not so much like there's not a bunch of people who are out to get you and yada, yada, yada. But, but he carries that with him. And so down the drain, it circles all the way to the bottom. And that's what you got out of last season. If there is a way to rebuild that, it is through someone who's just like, I believe in you. There, yep. Remember that old that's Kobe clip? Yeah. yeah. Where he's like pointing to Roy Hibbert and he's just like, come on, man. Like, like I believe in you. Yeah. Like, it wasn't man that he said, though. Yeah. <laughs> it, was it, different. Was it was an 11 letter word that started with them. <laughs> but so, I miss him, man. Goddamn. So if there's a way, <sighs> if there's a way to sort of build it back, Mike, like this is the uh, this is the approach that you do take. Whether it's going to work again. Look. I'm not going to try to convince anyone it will. I can't even faithfully argue that I believe it will. (laughs) Right? And so I'm not going to try to convince you based off of something that I don't even believe necessarily. I just, I do see what the coach is getting at. And I do think it's the best possible approach when you consider all of the factors at play. Now, I think it is important to transition to the point of, okay, well, how do you actually do that? Now, the way that you do it is say, these are the things that we're putting in place in order to try to optimize you. You, right? And so we're going to play a certain offensive style. We're going to hunt out certain types of matchups. We're going to focus on on these specific things that we think your game is going to benefit from. And... Based off of that, we know if if there are things, Mike, that benefit Russell Westbrook, I can almost guarantee you that those same 
those same principles are going to positively impact LeBron James. And they're also going to positively impact Anthony Davis. Why? Because they all threaten the same parts of the court. Their strengths and weaknesses are pretty much all relatively the same. But LeBron and AD's weaknesses are much less weak than Russell Westbrook's weaknesses. And, and so I can see what Ham is getting at from a idealistic world. This is what I'm chasing. If that's the way that you try to get the most out, out of Russ, I see it. Whether or not that's going to get you where you want to go, that's a different conversation. I get what they're getting at here. Again, I'm skeptical, but I see what they're trying to do. And that's why the stuff that he said interests me because it not only applies to Russ, but it does apply to LeBron and it does apply to AD. And it sounds like he's going to coach them all hard and in a way where he's trying to drive them forward and get the most out of them. And I'll be interested to see how he accomplishes that in the big picture. Yeah, I'm I'm probably a little more interested in what he said about AD and want to get your guys' thoughts on that. I think that's more important oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, than the rest thing. But I, now that we've discussed it, I'll, I'll just try to weigh in here briefly. I do think there's still a difference between where Russ is at right now and where Dwight was at. One thing, Dwight was out of options. Um, the, the He was out of contract, right, at that point. It kind of did represent his best chance. Russ still has his big money deal this year. Uh, and Russ's press conference last year, which Pete cited, kind of goes against, you know, the idea that I think that going and telling Russ, I believe in you, and this is the type of way we're going to maximize you. I thought there were there were a lot of games where they tried to maximize Russ with specific spacing, with specific lineups, with specifically giving him the ball, with, with specifically, you know, trying to tailor things to what has worked for him in the past. And I don't think that can work, especially with LeBron and AD on the team at the same level. So what what would work better would be for Russ to adapt. And that didn't seem like that was the conversation that Russ was having um, at the exit. And Darwin did pivot almost very quickly into that by saying the first thing is about defense with Russ, like get back to this level of intensity. And so like, I think that Darwin knows that to an extent, but there's, I I haven't seen or heard um, Russ, right. All of a sudden kind of getting that things need to go in a different direction. Uh, And, and so that's, I just wanted to draw that distinction um, and, and say that that's where the part where I still think we need to see if he's, if he's there, I still think we need to see that. And I wouldn't expect that to just change overnight, but depending on how the coach says what the coach says to him. I think last season had cascading effects on multiple levels where what happened in any particular moment was really informed by what had happened in that same story the step before. So like at some point, eventually we did move to, better spaced lineups, smaller groups, but it was very much a plan B or plan C. Starting DeAndre Jordan to begin the year, you could not make a more hostile to Russell Westbrook's game uh, coaching decision than that. The continued minutes of Avery Bradley, these are not the type of players that fit that style. And a big part of that is that idea of running habits. That was something that really stood out to me in Ham's comments. And I'm, I'm going to listen to that pod uh, where he goes into more detail because from a coaching perspective, that's what really caught my ear. On tape last year, one of the most frustrating things uh, was seeing two on fours or I'm sorry, like two on twos, more like it, right? Where somebody just didn't run their wing lane or 
because the fifth player on the court was DeAndre Jordan instead of a smaller player that could actually run, that person is not able to like the collective speed of that group is slow. The foot speed of that group is slow. And that goes completely counter to what Westbrook does well. There's a reason why early in the season, I was like, line these dudes up on the baseline, put them in a foot race. Whoever your fastest guys are, are probably going to be the best players. There's a reason why people, a player like Malik Monk had the best plus minus amongst the regulars is that he, he ran the floor consistently and he was great at it and he was fast and he could score in a variety of ways. And does this ultimately lead to a championship? Probably not, right? Because the, all of the fundamental flaws that that uh, that underlie those types of players. But any coach's job is to get the best out of that particular group of players. And I, I've just been arguing, I, I know for so long now, that if you have Russell Westbrook on your team, it almost like writes that in stone for your team. And maybe you won't be able to be good enough at that. But just from a like the players you put out on the floor and the original plan that you have has to be calibrated toward Russell Westbrook. And that was not what happened last season. And then we tried to pivot midstream as everybody kind of tried to figure out like, oh, we're going to go LeBron at the five now, right? Which I think we should keep to some degree, right? But as a much smaller part, um, and that was with Anthony Davis out, right? And then that brings it to AD. He is the key, like Darvin, like Darvin Ham said, D. And so that ability to be healthy, to be consistent, that is kind of a linchpin for all sorts of things, including the success of, of Russell Westbrook. And that includes running habits. All right, so we, so we just talked. We're having a great discussion here, and it feels like cutting it off now is, is premature. So we're going to make this a two-parter. So uh, we'll be back tomorrow. We're going to continue this conversation now, but you'll hear it as a second pot. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.